Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of Wellness in the Workplace. My name is Mbalim Zinyane, and I am your host. Wellness in the Workplace is a podcast that aims to equip new and experienced professionals with the tools and insights to navigate challenging workplace dynamics. And in today's episode, I am bringing you the final installment of Wellness in the Workplace Season 1. And what is the final episode for 2022? It has been an insightful informative and transformative season for me that has presented so many opportunities of learning, unlearning and reflection and I can only hope that it has done the same for you. Very special thank you to our guests who have featured on the podcast over the last 15 episodes. I do not take for granted the privilege of your time, your expertise and your insight. Thank you so much for just the openness and the sharing that you brought to the podcast and just enriched the content on this platform and most importantly a big thank you to you the listener the viewer thank you so much for your continued support over the last season this podcast certainly would not have grown without your continued support so I see you and I truly appreciate you for seeing me And on that note, I do want to end off this final season or the final episode rather of this season with a QA and a that I actually had on the Wellness in the Workplace Instagram page where I asked followers and supporters of the page to submit a few questions uh, regarding career, regarding the podcast or anything really just related to the content that we've shared over the last season. And that's what I'll be doing for this episode. I'll be answering some questions from the audience and and I hope you stay tuned. So I'll be answering about seven questions. I had to open up another round of questions because the first time around we didn't get as much of a great reception. So it'll be about seven questions and this is the first time that I'm actually answering these questions. Um, and, and it's just based on, you know, different aspects of either my career, of the podcast or anything that is related to career development or professional development in different areas. So the first question here is, how intentional are you about managing your time between being a podcaster while also working how do you strike the balance if it does exist okay this is a very good question so I don't necessarily believe in striking a balance I think it's all about prioritization Um, I have said this a few times on a live that I was featured on on Instagram a few weeks ago saying that you know there's a bit of a myth um, and a a story that we've been sold around work-life balance I think what it actually is is prioritizing what you need at a certain point in time given the season that you're in and having to then schedule your time, having to schedule your availability and having to schedule your commitment according to those priorities. So that's pretty much what I've had to do, you know, knowing that at this stage, my main priority is obviously my nine to five, because it does take up the bulk of my time. And then secondary to that, but not less important, uh, is the podcast and making sure that I do commit enough time to doing the relevant research, reaching out to, you know, potential guests and also preparing uh, to record um, beforehand and and that does take a, a certain number of time 
or a certain amount of time rather and and a level of commitment and dedication but because I know that it is an important priority to me I am able to put in the right level of effort the right level of commitment and the right level of dedication so that I make sure I deliver quality insights and quality content on the podcast while still maintaining a good record of work at my nine to five so that's how I do it so the second question is, hi Mbali, where can I reach out to to get help on picking a career? So I'm not sure if this question is asked from the perspective of someone who is starting out at university and wants to know, you know, what degree they should choose that would later inform their career path, or it could be someone already in, in a role in an organization and maybe is looking to pivot into a different career. But either way, I think the answer would be relevant um, to both instances. So I think the most important thing that you know, goes into making a choice about your career has to be knowing what your strengths are. I'm a firm believer in playing to your strengths and I'm a firm believer of knowing what it is that you're capable of so that you can leverage that in the work environment. I think playing to your strengths allows you to then, you know, prosper a lot, a lot quicker and a lot better. And in so doing, it does attract a lot more, I guess, opportunities in the world of work because what you will be doing is that you'll be playing to your natural abilities and not having to put as much effort and energy into exerting, um, you know, uh, focus in an area that you might not necessarily know. So if you try to do something that you are not necessarily strong in or not necessarily um, don't have a, a natural inclination or aptitude for, it might make things a lot more difficult for you over and above the dynamics that you need to navigate in the workplace. So the first thing I would definitely say is that, you know, play to your strengths. And there's quite a number of online um, assessments that help you identify what those strengths are. So you can do a free personality test, you can do a strength finder uh, assessment, which you can easily find on Google. Uh, or you can do something a bit more intricate and a, a bit more um, detailed like the Enneagram assessment. But as far as I know, Enneagram does come at a cost. I'm not aware of ones that are free. And if they are free, I suspect that they might not be fully comprehensive. So using those type of psychometric assessment or personality tests just to gauge exactly what your interests are, what your strengths are, because that is definitely going to inform how you perform um, and how you you grow within the workplace then the second part which is related to the first part is doing you know aptitude tests so there are formal aptitude tests that are offered um, at you know specific universities specifically under their career counseling um, practices so a lot of universities do have some form of career counseling uh, offering and if you are you know leaving school and you want to investigate what career you should go to 
do utilize those career services, especially if there are certain, um, you know, universities that you want to go to. So find out what their career counseling uh, services are like and uh, make an appointment. And then, you know, you can speak to a career guidance counselor who can give you some form of insight in terms of what you can look at based on, you know, maybe your academic performance, based on your um, your strengths, based on your interests, and also based on marketability um, post-graduation, because that's another thing that we need to consider. And then lastly, if it is within your affordability, career coaching. There are plenty of great career coaches out there. You can easily find them on Instagram. One that I love and I follow is Fiona Martin. Um, she is on Instagram. She's on LinkedIn. She's got her own um, website with a bit more detail around you know, career guidance, career development and professional development as a whole. And she's an experienced career coach. And, you know, people like that do really assist in, you know, making choices or even pivots in one's career. Um, Yeah, so there's a wealth of knowledge around there uh, when it comes to career coaching. And I would suggest that you actually go to a professional as opposed to relying on like YouTube content, for example, or anything that you might find um, on the internet internet if you are looking for coaching specifically rather consult with a professional who will provide the relevant guidance and it would be informed also by their discussions with you and them getting to know your personality your interests your strengths and potential marketability based on a combination of all of those so yeah Then the third question is any advice on getting a mentor so I'm not going to spend too much time on this because there is a whole dedicated episode that I did with Pearl Mgomezulu on mentorship or the importance of getting a mentor and mentorship. So please do refer to that because she does highlight um, a lot of important points around, you know, why mentorship is essential and why you would need a mentorship, especially when it comes to career development. And she even highlights important themes around some of the things to look out for when you are looking for a mentor and also how you should manage a relationship with the mentor when you do get one. So that is a very comprehensive episode that I would rather refer you to as opposed to me trying to summarize it right now and giving you my insight or paraphrased version of that episode. So it was the first actually first ever episode that we did on wellness in the workplace with a guest. So please do watch that or listen to it if you're listening via any major podcast streaming service. Cool. Then the next question says, where do you ultimately see yourself in your career? What is your most desired outcome? Hmm. Okay, that's a very interesting question. Um, Because I'd like to think that I'm very organic in my career planning. I like things to unfold as they should and I like things to be very organic in my process of growth and development. So I don't necessarily have a fixed 
plan in terms of what it is that I want to do, but I do know what I am interested in and I am, you know, dabbling in different areas of what I'm interested in to hopefully then culminate into this one role that I would want to occupy or even a business that I might want to eventually have. But to add a bit more color to the question, I would say that what I am interested in is strategy. So anything that is strategy, formulation, development, value creation, I love that stuff. And especially within the context of digital business, digital transformation, um, that's where I get a lot of um, inspiration. And that's where I think, not I think, that's where I would like to ultimately, um, you know, be in and do some form of specializing in that area from a direct I guess career perspective in relation to where I am and what I'm currently doing in my nine to five so anything in corporate strategy um, strategy formulation um, development and value creation definitely that but on the other hand wellness in the workplace has opened me up to so many opportunities and it's opened up my mind to what is actually possible and and by that I mean that I got exposed into a world around career coaching, personal development, professional development in a way that I hadn't envisioned. I think when I initially started wellness in the workplace beyond this being about content creation and sharing my insights and information, you know, around very relevant and topical conversations, what I did want to do was ultimately go into some form of speaking, you know, in relation to the content that is on the podcast but another layer that has presented itself is opportunities then around or possibilities rather around coaching career coaching business coaching executive coaching um you know, potentially even, I remember when I had a discussion with a guest that was on the podcast on her platform, she mentioned something about um, seeing a book in the future for me. I don't know how that's going to materialize, but um, even something like that would be of interest. But to answer the question directly, uh, ideally a role or a business that would merge my technical skills that I have acquired through my work experience and my interest in strategy uh, formulation and development and then the work that I do via wellness in the workplace. So any business or role that would allow for something like that, I think would be at this stage for me a desired outcome. That was a long-winded answer, but I needed to just set that context. Uh, this is not a question, but rather a comment. And um, this person said, not a question, but wanted to say thank you for taking the time to build out this important platform. Thank you so much for engaging and thank you for this feedback. Um, then the next question is, how does one navigate workplace complacency? Hmm. Okay, so I think workplace complacency is layered. Um, and I don't know if it is 
coming from the perspective of you recognizing that you are complacent at work or you recognizing someone else within your team that might be complacent. But either way, I think it's multi-layered. Um, I think there are a lot of factors that contribute to uh, being complacent at work. Recently, we have seen the term quiet quitting um, surface quite a bit on social media, more specifically on TikTok. And it's a term that refers to, you know, people just doing the bare minimum at work because they've mentally checked out. And I think for that movement specifically, it's not by coincidence that it has happened right after you know, the pandemic, because the pandemic was quite emotionally, mentally and physically taxing on a lot of us. And, you know, this was almost some form of resistance to the expectation to show up 100% and beyond, even after the mental, emotional and physical toll that going through, you know, COVID-19 has had on us. So I'm not surprised that, you know, the movement around quiet quitting, even though some people have said that it's been there long before we've, we've witnessed it recently, um, it is no surprise that it's really specifically happened right after, you know, the pandemic and that it is some form of labor revolution that is taking place. And in relation to the question around workplace complacency, I think it's two ways, right? It can happen that you are being complacent or a person is complacent because of the environment that they're in. The work environment is not supportive. The work environment does not recognize them. The work environment does not provide development opportunities. And as a result, they decide to just do the very basic and very bare minimum just to get by. And, and I think, you know, when we are talking about workplace complacency, we shouldn't just shift the focus to the employee. We should also talk to the employer to find out what they're doing to ensure that their employees are energized, are inspired, are motivated, have the right support that they need. They're addressing, um, you know, or they're providing rather facilities that would address things around, for example, mental health or wellness, etc. And I think that is a responsibility for the employer to make. And over then, above that, if the employer is still providing that and the employee is still complacent, then it's worth then having, you know, discussions around performance. It's worth then having discussions around what additional support the employee might need and what the factors are actually contributing to their workplace complacency. Because being complacent just doesn't happen out of nowhere. It does not, you know, and it's important to then identify what one or what an individual's drivers are, what their motivators are, and to tap into that in order to encourage some form of inspiration and, and some form of delivery on their performance. So I don't think it is a you know single answer for 
every individual that might be complacent uh, and it, I don't think it's a single answer for every workplace environment because you have to consider a number of factors both from the employer's side as well as the employee that could potentially then contribute to the workplace complacency. I hope that answers the question. So then the final question uh was a question that I had to do a bit of research on because I was not aware of what this campaign was about. And this follower said, what is your take on the tear the paper ceiling campaign? So before even sharing what my take would be on something like that, I think it would be useful to share the definition of what the paper ceiling is that they're referring to here. So it says here that the paper ceiling is the invisible barrier that comes at every turn for workers without a bachelor's degree. So what the Tear the Paper Ceiling campaign is saying is that we need to do away with using bachelor degrees as an entrance uh, criteria for certain jobs. And I think it's a very interesting campaign because for the longest time we had the narrative that you need at a very minimum a bachelor's degree to even be considered for any role just to have a foot in the door and all of a sudden because of the access to information because of digitalization and people being able to access information at such rapid paces it has then made sure that you know other individuals can get upskilled very quickly and can use platforms such as Udemy, YouTube, Coursera, whatever the case is, to be able to upskill themselves with um, in certain industries. I do want to say though that there are certain industries, there are certain roles or jobs that require a technical ability that I think should only be acquired via a higher education institution. And there are some industries that are so highly regulated that you cannot bypass the importance of getting accreditation and certification at a reputable institution. So if you're talking about law, if you're talking about financial services, some roles within financial services, those are industries where you cannot just rely on you know the skills gained from uh, you know online platforms that have tried to democratize learning to some extent. So I think if we are going to apply you know or, or I guess remove a barrier to entry to certain industries, we do have to do that contextually, situationally, and consider the industry, the role, and the level of skill set that an individual needs to have. So that's one part. Then the second part is that if we are talking about individuals that are highly skilled, especially in the context of South Africa, we need to reflect on who are those individuals because it's probably not individuals that look like me. 
Um, it's individuals that have probably had access to the internet, that have had access to all of these online platforms that are not on the um, you know, disadvantaged end of the digital divide. So if we're saying that we are going to consider highly skilled individuals, the question then is, where are these individuals getting those skills and are those skills accessible to all? Because if that is not the case, then we need to put in some form of barrier to entry that is going to create a degree of equity um, and, and allow for a fair chance for all to be considered. And obviously fair in this moment is being used very loosely, but I think having an, an entrance requirement such as a bachelor's degree creates some degree of, no pun intended, some degree of equity that allows a bit of a fair play for all, as opposed to then relying on people getting or being hired because of their skill sets and skill sets that some have benefited from because of their privilege and a privilege that is not accessible to all. I hope you are catching my drift. So yeah, that concludes the questions that I received. I think it was a very succinct and straightforward episode, but it's much needed because it is this time of the year. We are winding down and ready to close up the year 2022. I do want to say once again, thank you so much for tuning into wellness in the workplace the podcast we are available on every major podcast streaming service if you do want to follow the podcast on instagram it's at wellness in the workplace underscore on instagram do follow do like do comment do share do keep talking about it for now that's all for season one my name is mbalim ziyane i'll see you in the next season Bye bye This podcast is brought to you by Fende Media. Fende Media builds podcasts from the ground up to tell your story. By partnering with individuals and business alike, Fende Media brings you communication to life through podcast services.